0: All right. Well, we are spending several weeks this new year to overview the main storyline of the Bible or the plot. Last time was part one. We called the purpose, which we read about in Genesis chapter one and two. And this time we'll be considering part two uh, in Genesis three through 11. Again, we're still at the very beginning of the Bible here. I just want to remind you before we start that the Bible is not a boring, irrelevant textbook but it is one cohesive and epic story. And not only that, but it's a true story. And not only that, but it's our story. It's a story that involves us. Um, In fact, the primary characters of the story are God and mankind, us. So I invite you to just really pay attention and even review these teachings, maybe as time goes on so that you not only have a better grasp of the story for your own benefit but so that you could also have a simple way to share the story with other people because it's their story too right so um, quickly from last week or last time from part one we saw in Genesis 1 God who has always existed created everything and he created everything good the crowning achievement of his good creation was mankind whom he breathed life into and he purposed to remember image God or to display God to fill the earth and to rule over the earth. Image, fill, and rule. And God gives generously everything good to Adam and Eve and humanity to do this and he directs them on how to live, to flourish. And then we read um, in Chapter two, verse 16 and 17, that the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. So everything that you see, it's good. It's good. It's good. Take it, eat all food for you. But the knowledge of the tree or the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And that's what leads us to chapter three here. Remember, just this is historical narrative which as I said last time, it, it reads like a story. And unless the writer is obviously using a figure of speech or poetry, we just accept that he's speaking literally. So we assume um, that, that we can he's just giving a sequence of events. Here's what happened. We also understand that he's choosing certain events and not telling of all events, of course, that have ever happened. Uh, he's telling us something, the author, God ultimately, Um, what he chooses to tell us. He wants us to know something. So he picks certain events for us to know that. So in chapter three, verse one, we read this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say? And he starts to get Eve questioning, maybe perhaps God is not good. Maybe he doesn't have my best interest in mind. Well, who's the serpent? The serpent is, we find out later in the story, that it's the devil, uh, it's Satan, the deceiver, the accuser, the father of lies, all these terms that we see for him throughout scripture. Verse six, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Adam and Eve realize they can choose in this moment not to do what God commands. This is sin. So enter sin into the story. The next part is is the curse or uh, kind of the new normal that mankind is going to live in, Genesis 314 through 18. because they disobeyed God, here's the new normal. One Satan, the serpent is cursed, which means among other things that he will eventually be destroyed. For women, secondly, childbearing will now come through great pain. For men, thirdly, the ground will now only produce through great pain and worst of all, they will all return to the dust. They were created from. They will all die. Pain and death. These are what come as a result of sin, as a result of the fall. They will no longer, listen, only know good but evil and its result. And they won't be allowed to live forever. The Garden of Eden, we find out, uh, is is shut off from them so that they can't access the Tree of Life and live forever. Well, as we read on, Uh, We find more sin, more death. We see that it is entirely pervasive uh, throughout this accounts, chapter 4 through 11. The firstborn child, Cain, we read about in chapter 4, kills the secondborn child, Abel. Death. Chapter 5, it's not just a boring genealogy, but it's telling us something with a repeated phrase in there. It says, so-and-so lived such and such amount of years, and he died. Next generation, so-and-so lived this many years. And he died, and he died, and he died. Eight times it says in that chapter, and he died. And he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Do you think God is trying to say something by recording those words? You remember, God said, In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. The serpent said, Eve, you will not surely die. They ate, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. died, died. Sin leads to death. Chapter six, the flood. Um, to put kind of a nice bow on the condition of mankind, we read in Genesis 6:5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's the state of mankind. So as a result, more death. In fact, the death of every living thing, except one family, Noah's family, And the fish, I suppose. God destroys everything with the breath of life in a worldwide flood. Except he takes one man, Noah, who's described as a righteous man, blameless. um, Saves him and his family on a boat along with animals of every kind to kind of repopulate the earth. Then after the flood, now listen to this and see if it reminds you of anything in chapter 9. Okay, chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth deja vu right blessed them and said fill then the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens upon everything that creeps on the ground and of all the fish of the sea into your hand they are delivered remember from last time rule over and then Verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. This is like the great restart, right? It's obviously and strikingly similar to Genesis 2 where God blessed Adam and Eve first and then he gave instruction to image, fill, and rule. So it's like a fresh start here. But we see in the fresh start that God's purpose still remains. Here's what I want you to do now. Image, fill, rule. But something's different this time. If you just back up a few verses to chapter 8, uh, verse 21, the second part, the Lord says something that's on his heart. He said, I'll never again curse the ground because of man. Listen, for this is after the flood. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. N- neither will I ever strike down every li- living creature as I... Have done So even before we see in, in this round, sin starting to take place with Noah and his son, Ham, at the end of chapter nine, God knows that mankind will be and is dead set on not choosing his good, on sin. Still yet, he has a purpose. And he tells Noah and his family, image, fill, and rule. So in spite of man's intentions, God has intentions for his image to spread and rule. And the solution isn't going to be just start over with another righteous family and hope that maybe they're going to stick to the good plan. They won't. God knows it. So how, I think we should be asking this question, how will God's purposes be accomplished in this state of sin that humanity finds themselves in? And the same thing starts to happen. It's all replayed. the sin of Adam and Eve, you remember, in chapter three, left them naked and ashamed. The sin of Noah here after the flood, the restart in chapter nine, his drinking leaves him naked and ashamed. It's no surprise that at the end of chapter nine, um, the same refrain as the genealogy of chapter five, Genesis nine twenty nine, all the days of Noah were nine hundred and fifty years, and he died. Same, similar start, same trajectory, sin shame pain death and god knowing sin will continue in the world he promises never again to destroy the earth by flood chapter 11 is kind of the height of obvious blatant rebellion against god the tower of babel uh, there started to be a lot of people you see from the genealogy of chapter 10 everybody speaks the same language they're living kind of roughly in the same area and listen to what they say in genesis eleven four. come Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the whole face of the earth. And notice in that, their fight against the purposes of God. They say, we want to make a name for ourselves, not imaging God, but showing ourselves. And we don't want to be dispersed over the whole face of the earth. We don't want to multiply and and, and fill the earth working against the purposes of God. And it's kind of funny. God's like, sorry, but that is my purpose. And he's going to come down and confuse their language. And in verse 9 of chapter 11, we read, and from there, the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth. That's what my purpose is. That's what my plan is. So that's what I'm going to do, regardless of what you want to do. So in summary, just these main events of part two, the fall, the result of that fall, pain and death, and then death, death, and more death. Even after the restart, the flood, is the same thing, sin, death. And then the Tower of Babel shows how man is blatantly fighting against the very purposes of God. So like we asked last time, um, what do we learn about God? What do we learn about mankind? First, what do we learn about God? Um, one thing of, of several that I could say is that God appropriately gives judgment. What you earn by disobeying God What we earn is pain and death. Or another way to put it is what God provided to us was perfectly good, but humanity chooses not his good or we choose evil so that they don't get what he intended. God's good um, that he created resulted in flourishing and life in creation, but man's turning away from that good and choosing evil resulted in pain and death after the fall. In fact, the good that God gave, you could probably call every other tree in the garden of Eden the the trees of the knowledge of good. That's all they knew was the goodness of God. If you would have lived in the abundance, the abundant goodness of God, that's all that you would know, but they didn't trust God, so now they have not only the knowledge of good, but the knowledge of good and evil. And that leads to death. Well, is God mean in his judgment? <laughs> you imagine God, God says, I breathed life into you. I give you every good tree and I make it taste good. And I'm telling you, rule over the earth. The earth will yield to you its strength. You're going to flourish forever, live forever. Just don't eat the one tree. And they did the one thing. Who's the mean one? Well, gosh, it seems kind of you know harsh. How how could they have known that God was going to give such harsh consequences? In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Was something not clear with God's directions? It's like um, if if somebody was new to America, and they were visiting me here in Tennessee and they wanted directions to Disneyland from Tennessee and Southern California. Well, I could give you a 100 different westerly routes to get to Disneyland, right? What's the only rule in getting to Disneyland except don't drive east, right? I promise you won't get there if you drive east. And then that person saying, well, but I wanna drive east, okay. You can drive east, but you won't get to Disneyland. Why do we question the one who knows the map? He's telling us how it is, how life is to be, how life is to flourish. It's this way. We can't expect to get there. We get upset with him when he tells us his good way. And then we choose not that. And we get the other side, pain and death. What do do we expect? He was good. He told us. He told us the way. Um, Another thing that we learn about God besides He's good and and just in his, His judgments is that God is intent on seeing His purposes fulfilled. Though even humans fail, as we will see time and time again, He's intent on having His purposes filled. What do we learn about mankind? Mankind is born into sin chapter 8 verse 21 said the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth it's everyone it's all of us and as a result of sin all mankind therefore is gonna die that's kind of the echo of part two sin equals death and The rest of the story agrees with that as we read on. Paul tells us later in the story, near the end in Romans 5, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And he says the wages of sin is death. So it's going to come to everyone because we all sin. We are all Adam's offspring, so to speak. In James, we read, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth. Let's like Eve looking at the tree. looks really good. I'm lusting after that tree. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. So it's coming to all of us who are enticed and taken away by sin. Another thing that we learn about mankind is that Sin causes us to have broken relationship with God. No surprise, right? It is against him. We read in Genesis chapter three that they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. That's so sad. They were meant to live in communion and in, in, in the presence of God, but they lose that fellowship because of their sin. And you even see that, In the next sin, in chapter 4, when Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, it said, and settled east of the Garden of Eden. So we see broken relationship with God. We see um, separation from his presence, which, by the way, means death, right? The Bible Project uh, tells us in one of their videos, to rebel against God is to embrace death because you're running away from the giver of life himself. Not only do we have broken fellowship with God, but we have broken fellowship with each other. That's what we can learn about mankind here. It says in Genesis 3, 7, the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, after sin, was opened. Their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. And so they sew fig leaves together to cover their, um, their private parts. And um, so now that they have the knowledge of evil, I think they realized that people could abuse God's good gifts sexually because we have broken fellowship with each other in genesis 3 16 we see there's this broken fellowship between man and woman in chapter 4 again cain kills abel his brother who should be his closest relationship that he could have his brother and then so on and so on and so on and so on broken relationship with god broken relationship with mankind we could pretty easily, just in these few chapters, form a pretty good doctrine of sin. We could say that sin is a rejection of God. It's disobedience to God. Sin puts us at odds with God. Sin is what makes the world not as it should be. It kind of answers that existential question of, well, why? what's the problem in the world? What's going on here? All pain and death result from sin. That wasn't originally in God's good creation. A guy named Lewis, Lewis Sperry Schaefer writes in his book, Systematic Theology, that sin, here's a good, I thought this was a great definition of sin. Sin is essentially a restless unwillingness on the part of the creature to abide in the sphere and limitation in which the all-wise creator placed him. In general, he says, sin is lack of conformity to the character of God. Ah, there it is. Sin is when we don't display the image of God a couple other things would be worth pointing out that we learn here we're introduced to the serpent which later uh, is given more description as Satan the accuser the devil Uh, the serpent obviously opposes God um, we could find out through reading the story that God created everything, including angels, Colossians 1.16, including Satan. And we have some kind of vague passages in scripture that help us understand that Satan was an angel who rebelled against God and he's leading a rebellion and he's looking for subjects, hence the temptation of Adam and Eve. He says, hey, come join me in this rebellion against God, essentially. So we learn some things about this this character, this, this real person called Satan, Another thing that we can easily see here is again, really, is that life belongs to God. We saw that in part one Um, and life we learn here is represented by blood. Um, At this point in the story, we find out in chapter nine that God allows humans to start eating animals. Um, But there's one stipulation in that don't eat the blood. Uh, Look at Genesis chapter nine, verse three. He says, Every t- telling this to Noah and his family, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Cool, I can, I can eat meat now. And as I gave you the green plants, like in the garden, I give you everything, but again, this should sound familiar. Remember, I give you all of these trees, eat of every tree of every tree of every tree, but of the one tree, right? So here it is again, everything, every living thing, all green plants you can eat, but you shall not eat flesh. Here's the one stipulation with its life. That is its blood. And for your life blood, he says, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. God owns life, right? He's the creator of it. And if life is taken by murder, listen to this, because this is going to become a very important thing, even in the next part of the story, of the plot, and throughout the rest of it. If life is taken, the only way that debt can be paid is by the life of another. Okay? Whoever sheds the blood of man, chapter 9, verse 6, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. So, you can't pay it off with money if you kill somebody. That can't make it right. You can't just serve the person who you had, um, or serve the family of the one you had killed. It takes life for life. Well, why is the taking of life so reprehensible? The end of... Uh, verse six says for God made man in his own image so who is this offense ultimately against it's against God the one who gave life and God requires that life be given when life is taken to remedy death so what's this section telling us what does this section contribute to the overall story how do these parts fit together this is part two of the plot right part one was the purpose in the creation account. Part two is the problem, right? Um, This is the fall narrative. So like any good story, not only is there a setting at the beginning that just kind of sets things up, but then pretty soon conflict arises, right? And that conflict here is twofold. I'd like to explain it in these two ways. What is the problem? Okay, number one, problem is, what purpose did God set forth for his creation? Of mankind to bear the image of God and that image is to be multiplied through the earth fill, and that image bearer is to have dominion over the earth to subdue and rule now we can see the conflict or the problem start to take form immediately when we look at the result of sin and we see that sin causes hindrance to those image-bearing activities Okay, watch this. The be fruitful and multiply and fill command is crippled now by painful childbearing. It holds it back. The subdue and rule and give order command is crippled by an earth that now fights back with weeds and thorns, right? What's happened here? Sin has brought obstacles against carrying out the purposes of God. So now we have to fight to do what we were created to do. That's why we're calling it the problem, okay? Now we'll talk about this in the final week, but um, the story isn't just about, as I often grew up thinking, the story isn't just a big story about how we've sinned and we're going to hell and we need a remedy for that, but we've sinned so we have hindered our created purpose, our ability to carry that out, or the image of God in us is distorted. That's why... Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not all have sinned and need to figure out a way to get out of hell, though that's true too, but all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, of bearing his image. That's what sin has put a stop to. We've distorted that image. So that's one, that's the the first problem is that we can't carry out the very purpose that we were created to image God and to to fill and to rule. The second problem that creates, obviously, is death. That's why I like to include, as some people don't, kind of talking about the fall, I like to include chapters 4 through 11 in this part of the story, if you will, because I think those really aptly show the pervasiveness of sin and death. We see that the problem of sin and death isn't just Adam's problem, but it's everyone's problem who comes after him. And remember, this is not just a story, but this is a true story. And it's not just any story, but it's our story. So still today, this problem is relevant. We still face this problem. Everyone born in the image of Adam chooses evil over good. So everyone, all of us can't properly live out our created purpose and everyone will die. We live in the same problem. And so that also makes this story relevant for me to tell other people, right? Because we're all in this. And interestingly, aren't those the very questions that people are asking? What is my purpose? What am I here for? Well, part one answers that. What is the problem? Why is all this pain and suffering and death around me? Well, part two answers those questions. It's relevant to our life because this is our story. I want to kind of close out by summarizing uh, the the problem through just reading some scripture passages from the area that we have looked at tonight, Genesis 3 through 11. First, just back up to Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes that the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And then you could skip to Genesis 5, 5. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Remember, followed by, and his son, he died. And then his son died, and he died, and he died, and he died. died. Genesis 6, 5, a good summary. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually y'all things could not at this point in the story be worse but all hope isn't lost right if we were reading this just as a novel maybe we didn't know what happened we would be asking oh, well gosh will this problem be solved and if it is solved will if these problems are solved how will they be solved and how can I since it's my story how can I escape the problem With the world now as it is here, as we're leaving chapter 11, it's in this sinful state and God promises he's not going to just kind of start over again, right? At least not by wiping everybody off out with a flood. Then how will this problem of sin and death be remedied? And will God ever get to really carry out his purposes on earth? Like all good stories, like we mentioned last week, there's some foreshadowing and um, I want to make mention of one of those uh, significant foreshadowing events here in Genesis 3, 15. Uh, another cool one is the, like, what what about the tree of life? Like, What's going to happen with that? When Adam and Eve are banished from the garden, there's cherubim angels put in front of the garden to block the way so nobody can get into the tree of life. And it makes me wonder kind of, well, what's going to happen with that? And that tree doesn't come up again in the story literally until the last chapter or two of the book in Revelation. So uh, that's kind of a cool epic um, foreshadowing what's going on there. But specifically, and and maybe more importantly, Genesis 3.15, God says this to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now I'll put enmity between you and the woman that and your offspring that just that doesn't just mean that everybody is always going to be scared of snakes um but maybe that's true or mostly true anyway but this is what theologians call the proto evangelium or the first gospel or the first good news. This is a glimpse at what will solve the problem so who is Eve's offspring, well, we aren't given a name, but it says there, I'm going to put enmity between your offspring and her offspring. He shall, whoever that is, shall bruise the serpent, Satan's head, after that person, he is bruised on the heel by Satan. You see that there? So a strike to the heel is not fatal but a strike to the head is. So one day, it's, it's giving us a, a glimpse of hope here. One day, generations down the line, there will be an offspring of Eve who kills the snake. And to find out about that, you'll have to stay tuned. We'll talk more next time.